What do you do when you're facing challenges to remember that God is all there is? How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Are you ready to say yes to spirit? I am. Well, I'm glad you are. (laughs) I'll get there in the next 30 seconds or so. Uh, So happy you joined us today. And um, our theme for today is walking your talk as it relates to saying yes to spirit. And uh, we should have some fun with that. That is a uh, 12-step slogan for people that haven't... uh, heard of that, you talk about people that um, walk the talk, walk the walk, walk the talk, talk the talk, it's all sorts of, you know, confusing kind of concepts that we'll get into, but it's based on a 12-step idea that I think um, really talks a lot about living a life saying yes to spirit. And if you haven't heard it in the context of 12-step programs and you work in any large organization or have ever worked in any large organization, Walk the Talk comes up all the time when people are complaining about managers not doing what they say (laughs) they will do or not acting or behaving the way they expect the people who report to them to act or behave. So uh, whatever way you may be familiar with it, Walking the Talk is all about being in alignment in your behavior with what you say is important or what you say you value. So that's going to be our theme for the day. Do we have any connected dots? You know, that's just cruel, really. Those of you who listened live last week, I pray that Tracy um, destroyed the archive version. I had a bit of technical difficulty. Tracy and I had pre-recorded the show and Chase was out of town and done such a good job leaving it for me to be able to play and I could not manage to uh, get into the official switchboard. So, so no, we have no connected dots because the show last week was a bit of a bit of a difficulty for Leslie to have that technical. So thank you, Tracy, any, for any, being here and any, having the wisdom of any, technology. Any, any insights related to saying yes to spirit? Leslie, you know, this doesn't do that very well when I'm in technical panic, right? I was, I did try to calm myself down throughout uh, the 30 minutes that I babbled about, but, um, you know, it's funny, the idea of technology really is kind of one of those things that can send me into, oh my goodness, my mind just kind of goes on that short circuit. I actually see it like, like um, you know, when lightning hits a telephone pole, <laughs> sparks go up. My oh mind my just kind of fries up. But, so anyway, the connected dots is that uh, you know that I still have room to grow in my moments of uh, anxiety. So, and hopefully we'll play that uh, show on heaven at some point because it was a good conversation on heaven that we pre-recorded. So, the next few weeks we can look at playing that. All right, then let's take a little break, and then when we <coughs> come back after the break we can uh, talk about uh, 
talk about walking the talk. You're listening to Say Yes to Spirit, encouraging you on your spiritual path. And our theme for today is Walk the Talk. Walk the Talk. I can remember when I heard that years ago in a 12-step meeting for the first time. It, it was talked about people that, you know, that that talk the talk and don't walk the talk. And um, I think that I have spent a lot of my life doing that, you know, going all the way through school, having been through 12-step programs, I am highly intelligent on talking to talk and knowing what to say to help others and knowing in theory what I need to be doing uh, to shift or transition, transform my life. But in terms of actually walking it and doing it, boy, that just that seems, seems like it should have to be done. I should just get kind of like a, when you audit a class and you go ahead and get the grade. You know, I'm so smart I should just be able to audit the class and get the grade. I shouldn't have to actually do the work. Good heavens. Well, when you think the work is, I read it, I understood it. Right. I, I did the work. I intellectualized but, it. Right. So knowing it is not the same as doing it, but come, you know, when you think about it, almost all the way through school, for most people, in the U.S. at least, the test of whether you got something was whether you can talk about it mm-hmm. or whether you can pass a test, a written test. But hardly ever is the test related to how are you applying that information mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we grow up and we think, well, I know what it means I know what it means to be Mm -hmm. authentic. I know what it means to um, love God. I know what it means Mm -hmm. to be a good person. Mm -hmm. And so haven't I passed the test? Right. Right. You know, it really was a long time for me to even get the difference because there was a period of time where I really believed that my talking was walking. Yeah. I really didn't have a concept that I wasn't walking and I think I probably, you know, abandoned or shunned away those friends that tried to help me understand that at the time. Uh, So I really, you know, was quite defiant in my belief that I was walking the talk when I was just talking the talk because that's, I think as you said, probably how I learned it and experiencing it, which is walking it, having the experience of it was still something on some level that I 
did not believe I deserved it, did not or had a fear of the, you know, greatness that that would lead to, both of those kind of pendulum fears for me. And and now I find progress in the fact that I'm aware of the the schism. I'm aware of the difference between the two. You know, and I I I have moments perhaps of walking the walk and I and I actually have less um defense mechanisms, I think, in play when people point out that I'm not, so that's a sign of progress as well. Well, I love that, that framing it in knowing it is not having the experience mm, of it. Right. And um, and now that I think about it, you know, we've talked a few times about the when we've used the words belief and faith, and I've said yeah, for me, belief is in your head, what you believe, it's, mm-hmm. but faith is what you do. You demonstrate your faith. Right. It's not something you know until you demonstrate it, and that's putting your belief into action. And so it's interesting. I had never really thought about it as a walk-your-talk thing, but oh, that's yeah. really for me. You mm-hmm. You can't tell me you have faith. I can only know you have faith by what you do because you're walking the talk of what you say you believe. Mm-hmm. And 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 then immediately this is triggering too for me that, you know, since I was about 15 or so, the my biggest button, well, one of my biggest buttons that people can push is hypocrisy. Right. And that's the same thing. It's like they may they they clearly talked a certain talk mm-hmm. about what they believe or how they who they believe they are. Mm-hmm. But when I observe their walk, they're not walking their talk. And for me, that's like a big, huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Not expecting everybody to be perfect. So I'm not. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. Because mm-hmm. we all make mistakes and we all, you know. Are, we're, none of us are ever 100%, 100% of the time. But just when I see that pattern of people say one thing mm-hmm. and they do something else, that's what it is. I mean, to me, it's like, okay, they're hip- hypocritical or they're two-faced or they're, or they're naive. Yes. You know, because you can also tell Thank when you. people yes. don't realize. Don't know what they don't know. Right. They don't realize. But for me, it's more when they they said, this is who I am, and they do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really hadn't made that connection before to the walking your talk. And the other connection that immediately now is flooding into my mind is, um, that's part of what used to get me in trouble <laughs> in school, in mm. college, and oh. in grad school, especially not more so in grad school than in, in my undergraduate school because I would be taking classes, and in both um, grade school, like junior high grades, and in college, I went to schools where they constantly challenged you to put what you were learning into action. Mm. So by the time I got to grad school, that was just so much a part of me. You know, I was like going to classes, (laughs) saying to the professor, well, I understand what you've assigned, but like that has no relevance to me. (laughs) 
could I do something else? And I would always suggest an alternate ah. project, an alternate, like, extra credit thing, except I wanted to do it instead of what they had assigned. Interesting, Trace. How'd that work for you? That didn't work very well at all. <laughs> because professors like right. what they like, right? Because the professor was like, this is what I've assigned. This is what I want you to do. I don't care if it's relevant to you or not. This is the assignment. And, you know, and that was like, what is wrong with these people? It has no relevance. I, I'm not ever going to be able to use this. I'll know it for the test, but what good is that? Well, now I could look back and say, Tracy, the good of it is you'll get an A in the class, and then you can move on. <laughs> you know, but then I was like, I went to a college that said learning, we're teaching you how to learn. And so everything needs to be relevant, and I am not getting it, and I'm not doing it. You know? That's fascinating that you went to a college, that, an undergrad, that had that yeah. intent. Oh, yeah. College I went to awesome. undergrad was amazing. And at the time, they, well, don't have it this, they don't have it this way anymore. But um, we actually created contracts for what our majors would be and what we wanted to learn and how we were going to learn it and um, had multidisciplinary, like like in most colleges you take English one, science one. I mean, you know, there's a progression. Prerequisites, right. All these prerequisites, and you have to have a certain amount of credits in specific areas. So um, I went to Ottawa University in Ottawa, Kansas, which now has four additional um, adult campuses around the country. And... Um, at that time, again, it's not this way anymore, but at that time, we then would, they, what they did was they took all of those classes that are prerequisites and required classes nationwide in, you know, the typical ones, mm-hmm. and they said, how can we can combine these, and how can we um, make them interdisciplinary Wow! so that it would be freshman core classes and it would you would get the same information, but instead of taking each of these individually, there would be a theme for the year. And as you took the three core classes throughout the year, that theme within that theme, you would have science and English and mm-hmm. writing and uh, business yeah. and that. You would have all of those integrated in under the banner or the umbrella of a theme. Awesome. That's a walking the walk kind of institution. Yeah. So, I mean, so I had, you know, three and a half years of approaching learning in that way, that it, awesome. everything is related, and, um, and, and then you integrate it into your life in some way. And so, yeah, grad school is pretty hard for me. <laughs> Back into the real world of academia. Well, yeah, and I didn't know that yeah. that was the real world. Because uh-huh. in high school, I had really, I had teachers that who most of my teachers, not all, but most of my teachers really challenged me, and um, you know, and there was a whole cultural experience going on for me. And in grade school, I'd been in talented and gifted programs, which were oh, integrated. Yeah, so, Monetary, you know, when I, I got to grad school at a state university. I was like, oh, um, no, this isn't working for me. I'm not doing this. (laughs) That's hysterical. Yeah, so walking the talk, I think while we're talking about it in the context of 
if you say yes to spirit, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And how do you how how do you do that in your everyday life? Um, I think when you do that with your spiritual foundation, it's also well. My hypothesis, without thinking about it, is that it's also it would also happen in your you know non spiritual life if there is such a thing, if there is any part of your life that's not spiritual. Right, right. Everything, all aspects of your life would line up. Yes. And that you would be integrating and walking your talk in all other ways. Because if I say yes to spirit, and, and and that includes saying yes to being a loving, beneficial presence in the world, then whether I am with my family or if I'm at work or if I'm in Walmart, you know, wherever I am, I'm, I have said, yes, I'm going to be a loving, beneficial presence in the world that's saying yes to spirit. So I'm doing that everywhere I go. Right. That's my hypothesis. And I think that's correct. And even though in truth we know there's nothing outside of spirit, in practicality we, we have labels for different aspects of our life that, you know, our human status feels more comfortable saying work life, family life. But, um, and I think that saying yes to spirit is walking the walk and taking the action. You know, that's what I like about the idea of saying yes to spirit. There's, actually, when you say yes to spirit, to me it implies an action, even though it doesn't literally say that. But there's an implication of activity, of action, of something that I'm doing. And that is what I discovered was the difference between living a life where I was talking the talk and living a life of walking the walk was the action that I was taking. And um, and that action just can be so repetitive and dull. <laughs> and, you know, very, uh, you know, just, you know, just kind of like the same thing over and over and over again. And recreating those patterns and realigning myself in ways that I have been aligned and then slip out of alignment, um, you know, can be discouraging. Is this enough about me? But um, saying yes and becoming more action-oriented does feed itself. And it does then take an energetic shift and the action and the walking of the of the talk becomes more engaging, less effortful. You know, it, it, it does start to feed itself. If I can stay connected to the, you know, my favorite word, working at it for a while, forcing it for a while. <laughs> I can work at it and work at it and work at it, at it until it's so natural that it's just happening. Right. It's like breathing, right. right. So that's the acting as is. Uh-huh. Before uh-huh. the whole um, consciousness on. ladder from conscious incompetence to conscious competence to unconscious competence and then back again to seeing something new. So, yeah, at some point when we're trying something new or making a new commitment, we are working at it. We are being intentional taking about effort. it. Yes, we taking are effort. Right. Yeah. And we need to do that to walk our talk. Yes. 
but over time, the more we do that, we find that we are walking our talk and not even thinking about it. Right. So I mean, so there are times. Well, even yeah, right now, if I'm thinking, what would be a good example? You know, what would be a good example for me? So. I've always had a some form of regular spiritual practice um, and, you know, on the verge of being licensed as a practitioner, which makes me smile. Yes. I'm just saying it makes me smile. Um, a few months ago, I made a decision to be very intentional about um, saying spiritual mind treatments out loud at least once every day, mm-hmm. which is different than writing them, which right. is different than thinking them. Right. Um, but literally every day, um, you know. And so for a while it's effort. It's effort to remember because it's really easy for me to to say it in my head, to think it. Right. You know, or to um, have something happen or be talking to someone and do a treatment in my head to mm-hmm. think it. It's, mm-hmm. That's, like, easy. And it's easy to, for me to do it out loud. It's just it's not a habit. It's easy now for me to do it out loud, not like two years ago when I, when I uh, maybe one day I'll tell that story about the first time we had to say a treatment out loud. And and it was, you know, horrifying, scary, uh, you know, am I doing it right, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So it's not even that I'm uncomfortable doing I'm just not in the habit of saying them out loud. Right. And I think if I lived with someone, you know, and we were doing treatments or prayers for each other, mm-hmm. of course you would be more, you would be doing that out loud. But because mm-hmm. I live alone, I'm not usually saying them out loud. So... Anyway, so that's the, am I walking my talk, um, you know, it's effort to do that. Every day I, I, you know, at some point, or almost every day at some point, I think, have I said a treatment out loud today? Mm, Oh, I still need to do that. And there have been days when I haven't thought about it. Right. And I haven't done it. And so it's still, at this point, an effort for me to walk the talk of being totally comfortable doing that, and that comes from me practicing it. But I know at a certain point it will be so automatic. I'll be walking my talk. It will be completely effortless, and it will just happen. And saying them aloud is very different. I can remember a time I'm in a sangha group with three women that we pray, do treatments for each other, and I used to sit on my back porch in the morning and say the treatment out loud, and it was, you know, pre-written treatments because once a month we would create a new treatment that we wanted everyone to focus on for that month. And I would notice a difference when I have said them out loud. So I think that's a, a nice practice as we talk about different things to practice and to try any of the things. Like if I say the serenity prayer, the Lord's prayer, or the third step prayer that I say a lot in AA, I say them in my mind, and it's a different experience when I say them out loud, so that's right. a nice thing to be reminded of. Yeah, and I love that because it's a combination of the sen- of the senses. Mm-hmm. So if you think it, I mean, right. or you say it, you say it to yourself mentally, Right. it's like you're 
you might even visually, well, you don't usually see the words. You're just, it's in your head, and your brain is taking it in. If you're reading it, you're seeing it, like on paper. If you are saying it out loud, it's another sense. So your brain is getting it, whether you think it, read it, or say it. Mm-hmm. But you read it, that's a second sense. And saying it is a third sense because it's the sound. Right. And it's it, then it comes back. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're putting it out there, but the sound brings it back in in a third way to your brain. To hear it. Right. And so it becomes really any prayer or any, oh, when I'm studying a oh, lot right. of times mm-hmm. I will read what I'm, whatever I'm trying to take in, or in my notes. I'll read them out loud to give it a third dimension of uh, of emphasis. So cool. So walking our talk. What happens that makes us not walk our talk? People, places, and things. Bastards, okay. irritations, and frustrations. Oh, can you say that on the radio? Things like that. Is that what you mean? Stuff like that? Um, external things? I guess that's what I meant. <laughs> well, external and internal. Yeah, external and internal. Well, external. In, internal, my fear or right. my doubt or my my own emotional sense mm-hmm. of unworthiness or um, or my un, my lack of awareness. And it's kind of my story around the external, because, you know, for yeah, my fear, exactly. for mm-hmm. my whatever's going on inside, I am giving meaning. I started working the Course in Miracles uh, daily lesson mm-hmm. again recently, and that's one of the, their big things yeah. is the initial few uh, days is focusing on the truth of Everything that I see, I give the meaning that it has to. So if I'm driving by and I see somebody in a certain type of car that I deem as a wealthy person's car, I give them that meaning, and the person I'm driving in the car with might look at that exact same car and have a completely different meaning. And so it's really an interesting mind warp to consider everything that I See that how I think of it is my interpretation, and it's very interesting because I can jump ahead because I've worked that course those lessons before. But you know that it goes beyond the physical things that you look at it and gets you into a thinking pattern of the thoughts yes. are not real. The thoughts are only what I deem them to be, and then you know it, so it takes you down that path of kind of dismantling thinking patterns in order to rebuild them in a more spiritual way, and um, and I think that many times when we get stuck in talking the talk, I know I, you know, I had it figured out. I knew what I knew. I, oh, she was laughing out loud. Uh, you know, I knew, you know, I knew what I knew, and nobody could, could battle me off of that, and because what I would say to you was accurate. It was the experience experience that was lacking. So you really couldn't argue with my logic or with my words because they were dead on. But I think what was perhaps, as you're saying, the hypocrisy of it or something that, you know, that, and I think that the only real person who suffered in that scenario was me 
because I was kind of living a shallow or a shat, you know, a shattered or a disconnected experience of saying one thing and really understanding it and really believing in it and then experiencing something completely void of that. So I was the one that, you know, suffered that consequence of that life style of not walking the walk. But um, I do think it's an interesting practice to see where the talk, who are so certain of the talk, but our behavior deems out something different. And then when perhaps someone points that out, you know, what level of defense comes back to try to secure my thinking? You know, how how much I protect my thinking is also an indication of my own walking the walk. Because really, at the end of the day, I don't have, there's no need for me to have you think the way I think or affirm what I think or, you know, have any kind of, uh, it, it, there's no real need or necessity for you to agree with me. So the more I try to push back when you're saying, boy, I think that's wrong and I don't agree with that, if I can just say, man, okay, well, I'll think about that or not. I might not think about it and might tell you, you know, I think I'm okay with that. But it's not a pushback. Right. And that's the, the trigger for yeah, me. Yeah, both the pushback and the... Um, Clamoring for approval or agreement. I mean, they're they're the opposite sides of the same coin. Of I need to, I need you to affirm for me that I'm right. So either you've got to agree with me, which means I'm going to push back, push back until you agree with me, or I'm waiting for you to say yes, you're absolutely right, and everything is is. You know, the world is exactly as you see mm-hmm. it and mm-hmm. understand it to be. And I was having that conversation, or that exact conversation with a friend earlier this week about what is it with us being human? Mm-hmm. It is our humanness that, you know, gets us into that loop, get, gets us stuck in some ways where we know the spiritual truth. We know for ourselves what's really important or what are our best qualities or you know, we, we have that feel it's a it's a visceral feeling when you mm-hmm. know this is right for me or this is not right for me. Right. And you still, you know, either react when someone says something that's different that is their perspective and really doesn't affect you at all. Right. And they're not keeping you from doing you. Right. You know, you're not keeping me from doing me, so, okay, you can have a different perspective. Or just because we have a relationship with that person, wanting them to, feeling like, but, you know, hey, wait, you you got to see it the same way I do. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. And, you know, but we the humanness of us wants that to be so. When if we're really standing firmly in spiritual ground, it's, we don't. They don't have to be wrong for us to be right. Right. And we right. don't have to believe. Don't have to convince anybody of anything. And we can trust that everybody comes around in their own time to understanding the truth of the truth. Right. And in a strange way, I have discovered pushing the truth onto someone. You know, as a therapist, we've always taught you can't ever tell someone they're an alcoholic. 
you, you can point out different things in terms of behaviors, and you can say, you know, how's that working for you kind of thing. But if the words come out of my mouth, I think you're an alcoholic, all that does is set up a, a need to defend, and, you know, that person then will retreat. So um, in many ways, my trying to, quote-unquote, help by telling someone else the truth can delay their own internal process of accepting and finding out and seeing, and I've just seen that play out so many times so well in terms of when I just say, hey, how's that working for you? In a thousand different ways, you know, people get it. People eventually get it. When when there's nothing to defend against, then they are left with just their own thinking and their own patterns and their own, and, you know, when you don't have anybody to fight except for yourself, then it's like, oh, gosh, this is no fun. Right. I'm going to find new friends that can try to change me so I can fight them and not have to look at my own dysfunction. (laughs) I was thinking, too, how many times, um, um, how easy it is to come up with examples of of doing it the other way, too, of being so sure. So you, using that example as a therapist, you may know this person is an alcoholic, but, you, right, it would be inappropriate to say, I think you're an alcoholic. But how many times we actually do that when we're not in a professional role, but in our personal lives with our friends, our colleagues, our coworkers, and we give, we put a label on them, or we label their choices, because we can see, we we believe we can see, they could make a different choice, right? That they that would make them really happy now, right? Where they'll probably be happy anyway, now or later. But, you know, it's it's so hard not to say, based on what I know about you and based on what you've said is important, mm-hmm. you know, I can see this choice for you. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. And I, I'm actually getting upset when you're not making that choice. I mean, not like right. that moment. But, yes. But it's making me nervous right. because I can see it for you. Yes. And it's hard to step back and say, okay, it's not for me to see, it's for her to see. Right. I think that's probably, I don't have two-legged children, but I would imagine that is the the largest challenge of especially raising a child in terms of letting them have that own burning the hand on the stove experience versus, you know, walking around all day saying, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove. I know that's hot, I know that's hot. Because when that experience has to be Well, and how do you balance that when there are things like literally burning the stove, burning (laughs) your hand on the stove that... As a parent, you yeah. are responsible for <laughs> teaching them not mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how? Uh, what's that leash or that you know rope that you have to give? Because every child has to learn his or her own emotional lessons, right? And at the same time, physically keeping them as safe as possible. Um, but you can't choose their friends, all of their friends, and you can't. Yeah, be with them every minute of the day. And, and there's a metaphor. You can't. You say you can. You think you can. Cannot. Cannot. Yes. Right. What was your little hmm? <laughs> you did a hmm. You were you were simmering something. Yeah, there's something percolating. Percolating. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting metaphor with the one. And I always, you know, when you think of God being the ocean and me being the drop, the same quantity. Same qualities, just not the same quantity. Um, that the design of this experience of the drop of me is is 
much like the whole is wanting the best outcome for me or, you know, having understanding that it's all perfectly perfect so it, there's no need to panic. My experience in the drop is one of that two-legged child that I have to sometimes have those experiences of not succeeding or not things going not well in the human realm to then remind me of what I already know. And um, that cycle of that, that circle of that over and over again, I think is is um, is the idea of life. And then the idea of life, for me at least, is at some point that circle is going to, you know, I'm going to get done with that circle and just live in the big ocean. No, I'm really, you know, live in the knowledge of that, have that mystical, magical experience. I believe, I believe, me and the Mavericks. Can we talk about the Mavericks at all? No, probably not. But had to say that. I believe that's their slogan for the NBA Finals. Keep it up with that at all, Tracy, in real time. You believe what is their slogan? I believe is their slogan that they believe. Yeah. Okay, so did your simmering little topic thought come to you? Well, what was simmering was actually what you were talking about. Like, Mm. how do we relate this? my experience as an individual mm-hmm. in this bigger experience of universal truth. Right. And so I didn't have to keep thinking about it because once you started talking, I was like, yeah, that. Oh, that's great. The ocean, that the drop mine. in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't thinking about it as drop in ocean, but it was, yeah, how does my personal individual life mm-hmm. fit into universal life and is it like is it like mm-hmm. that um I have to have my own experiences which to others might look like mistakes mm-hmm. but it is my experience and my path on the journey as I journey do the journey of return to wholeness. Awareness wholeness. I can get caught on words. You know, in terms of the um, telling someone, this is always something I get tripped up on, in terms of walking the walk and helping other people understand the importance of that, to be able to experience it, right? So that's right. a good thing. No, as a therapist, I can't say you're an alcoholic. As a friend... I have a tendency to say, you are an alcoholic, you know, because because I'm being helpful, I think. <laughs> and uh, and there's such a gray line there because I think people that stand on the outside of someone's dysfunction and just kind of let them wallow around, and you know, and I think that's a real dis, dis-friendship, dishonor to the friendship. So it's a very interesting line to me if someone is, experiencing difficulty on a path that's causing them harm, you know, how much intervention in terms of getting them back on the path of walking the walk do I make as a friend, you know, when do I cross over that line, and it's probably different with everybody, and the reaction I get would tell me, but, um, you know, that practicing, I think, and we talk about community a lot, and how to be a involved community engaged person walking the walk with you. Well, I and 
um, I'm totally with you on that. And that was what came to mind before. It's like, oh, yeah, when I'm in a professional role as an HR person or as a practitioner or Mm -hmm. as a, you know, as a uh, coach, because I know I've stepped into that role and that's the hat I'm wearing, it it if the impulse comes to me to label that person mm-hmm. because I have that hat on consciously, you know the impulse immediately is is uh, met with that's not appropriate. What questions can you ask? Mm-hmm. That's not appropriate. You know to to call that person or to tell this person this is what you are. Mm-hmm. You know to label. And and it's met immediately with that because I'm, you know, wearing that professional, professional hat. hat. So, yeah, but when I'm talking to a friend or I'm, it's just a casual or, you know, somebody comes up, and, you know, it's like, oh, I don't always have the same filter. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have the filter working, although if we really were saying yes to spirit, we would not be in judgment of other people at any time. Right. <laughs> well, and I don't know that that's judgment. I really think that, I think it's about my intention. And sometimes my intention is to judge, and sometimes my intention is just to say that stove's hot. Yes. You don't touch that stove. Yes. and But when we do the label mm-hmm. that says you are this or you right. are that, right, then right. it's it's the judgment. So if we wanted to just say the stove is hot, we'd be giving information. Right, okay. We'd be, more we'd be focused on describing the behavior that's not working. We'd be saying this is not working. This is but what we, I see. Right, this is what I see. I get cons- I get concerned when you do A, B, C, and D. Right. And that's still different than saying you need to stop doing A, B, C, and D. Got it, right, right. You know, so that's how it's stated more than, and I agree, it's the intention because I can mm-hmm. say I, you know, A, B, C, and D are potential problems. Like this is a totally, it's the same concept but in a totally different environment. So um, if I'm coaching someone around diversity and inclusion stuff, and you know they they need to give someone feedback, you know I'll, you know, caution them about saying. You know, I wish you, you know, you're a racist right. because you tell jokes like this or that's a racist joke, mm-hmm. you know. And maybe instead, there are lots of other ways to approach that. So one way to approach that is to ask the question, are you aware that that joke could offend people, some right. people? Are you aware that for some people you would immediately be labeled a racist? But that's different than me saying you are a racist. That's right. giving you not just wiggle room, it's giving you the opportunity to see me as someone who is concerned about you and, you know, kind of a heads up, it's, that stove is hot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You get to choose still, but that stove is hot. Just in case you didn't know. Right. Um, or, you know, you could even say, I'm uncomfortable when you tell jokes like that. Right. Which you can own that. But again, it's not you are a racist. Right. And so I think when we say yes to spirit and we, again, for me, loving beneficial presence in the in the world, it's hard 
it's hard to walk my talk of being a loving, beneficial presence in the world when someone does something that is so opposite right. to my values or my view of who they are, even if it's not against my values. Mm. It's just I see them as perfect, whole, and complete or an amazing representation of God in the world, and they're doing something that doesn't look like that to me. Right. It's hard to... It's hard. It's hard to get that feedback in. Right. Right, well, in theory, it's hard. So... And the whole community idea of, I do think there is a lot to be said, and 12-step programs have this wisdom as well, that it's a program of attraction, not promotion. And as I walk the walk and I experience on a deeper and deeper level, the outpicturing of my life becomes something that is um, energetically attractive to others, and they're interested in, you know, having that or will become quizzical in, in, in ways to get it. So it becomes less about me having to go out and try to sell the Avon and someone coming to me and saying, gosh, you have the best-looking skin. What do you put on it? Wasn't that a good metaphor? Yeah, that I don't really have anything good. on my face ever, I thought that was a really good metaphor. And it's, it's so. especially good metaphor since I ordered Avon products this morning. It is. There you go. It's hysterical. It's hysterical. Yeah. So it's yeah, perfect There you go. There you go. And always. But it is a lot like that, and I think that I do... I can monitor my own sense of um, health by how other people are, you know, either attracted to me trying to, you know, get what I have, what I'm giving out in good energy, or if other people are, you know, trying, like, to keep a 10-foot radius away from me so they don't get anywhere. <laughs> Stay away from that energy. Frightening. That's pretty funny. Thank you. Should we take a quick break and come back with a devotion, maybe? I well, have a devotion called, actually entitled, Walk the Walk. Now, isn't that exciting? That's amazing. I never have the that title. That hardly ever happens. Uh-huh. I'm really excited about that. I have to say it before we end the show. All right. So I will uh, agree with you. We'll take a <laughs> quick break and... have the devotion called Walk the Walk, which is that same theory. So let's see what it says. I release my belief in punishment. I release 
my need for panic and shutdown. I am grateful God is the abundance I am. This is the affirmation I have said 70 times a day for seven days. This is the affirmation that has yielded more random financial abundance in seven days than I have experienced in 15 months. I have continued to say this affirmation each morning, counting down on my mala beads. There are 108 beads on a mala bracelet. For the last several days, I have noticed a strange stream of calm running through my mind that is usually full of random chatter and fearful what-ifs. This morning, I realized the shift must be because the things I have chosen to release are releasing. I am releasing my belief that I deserve to be punished. I am releasing my familiar reaction to life with panic and shutdown. I have spent most of my life talking the talk with random moments of walking the walk. As I look back, I have spent most of my life in fear and worry with random moments of joy and bliss. I have a hunch God never wavers from the walk. God doesn't walk the walk one day and sit down the next. The last ten days have shown me how powerful a consistent walk can be. Today, I choose to keep walking. And it's so interesting, it's so funny, because I wrote that, I don't even know, but I wrote that probably almost a year ago. And as I read it now, I'm like, damn, I'm right back where I was before. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can do that 70 times. 70 times a day for seven days. Create a major shift. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and you know, I think that's just the classic human experience, and and so does my being back in the same place discount the fact that I really was walking the walk and I really was having that experience? And as I read that, I remembered. I was like, oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> I want that. I, I want more of that. Those days. Right, right. I want more of that. I love it's your fascinating. I have a hunch line. Oh, God never wavers from the walk. Right. Doesn't walk one day and sit down the next. <laughs> Doesn't yeah? Doesn't stop moving forward. And I wonder if that's like you know a person that has classic kind of thing is a person that has bipolar disorder or some manic depressive disorder or even a depressive disorder. They get on medication, they start feeling better, and they think, oh, I don't need the medication. So right. as I get feeling better, I'm like, good lord, I've done this mantra on these mala beads for a month now. Surely I can stop. And look at that, you know, the water turns off. So, you know, it drips for a while after you turn the faucet off. Right. You get a little you get bit residual of residual effect. You get residual income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right, right. Residual results. And if you probably <coughs> didn't do things that were the exact opposite, mm-hmm. you know, you might even plateau or you might continue to grow a little. But if you start doing things that the exact opposite, it just starts sucking you right back, mm-hmm. sucking you mm-hmm. where you're still walking, but you're walking backwards <laughs> in the other direction, forward, walking know. on a treadmill. You're facing forward, <laughs> right? Facing forward, but actually walking. Your steps are going backwards, so you fool That's yourself good. into thinking, yeah. "I'm still doing this." Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I like that image of being on a treadmill. You're moving and you're <laughs> going as fast as you can, and you're standing in the same place. Yeah. That is a journey. It is a freaking journey. And I think that, uh, you know, having this hour out of the week 
pulls me back into what I already know. You know, going to church and hearing Petra's message at the Center for Spiritual Living pulls me back into what I already know. Listening to spiritual music on the radio pulls me back into what I already know. Yeah. Talking to friends about the truth of what my experience is and hearing them remind me of what the truth of who I am is pulls me back and remembering what I know. Yes. So those are practices and choices that can remind me of the experience of walking the walk. And, um, you know, it's curious. I get um, Abraham, who is the people that don't know Abraham, you call Abraham, he's kind of a channeling experience of a woman, Esther Hicks, that channels the archangel. Am I saying that correctly? And uh, they put out a daily kind of thought for the day, and then Petra puts out a thought for the day. And I know that I'm in a really bad place where I just delete those in the morning and think, oh, screw that, I don't need to read that. Right? Oh, no. <laughs> That's great. And then I'm like, That's bad. But I don't that even have any interest in Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big red flag. Yeah. So, um, you know, so there are certainly signs along the way when I'm not walking the walk and uh, opportunities of things I can be doing that are fairly, you know, don't cost any money and don't take more than 30 seconds that can pull me back into remembering what I know. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Okay, so um, walk the talk, walk the walk. Anything else that's bubbling in that brain of yours? As you know, I don't know how much you can actually say about my brain on the radio, but... um, I do think, and again, going to 12-step meetings. We don't talk much about, you know, we talk about church and going to different things, but there's a lot to be said for creating a a prayer circle in terms of a practice for walking the walk, having people engaged enough in your life to understand when you're struggling for them to reach out. Um, Going to 12-step meetings, actually a friend of mine last week said, you know, my goodness, you haven't been to an Illinois meeting, called me in five years. And I'm like, so, I mastered that. I'm done with that. I know all there is to do. Did the damn steps three, four times. What more do you want? And so, you know, going back to a, a very familiar place of going into a, a meeting is, again, another opportunity to walk that walk. And so, you know, I just encourage us as we head into our week to and look at, you know, what are we doing with our time? Well, and another way to walk the walk um, is to help somebody else. Right. Who is at a different place on the journey where you've already been because so often we teach what we need to know or we teach what we need to affirm in ourselves. And so, you know, if there's a friend, it's not so much teaching or preaching to them, again, from a righteous place. Right, But how do you help someone else because it reminds you of what's important to you. Mm-hmm. So help someone else who's in a situation that, um, you know, that that either you have struggled with in the past or you are struggling with now. I think from a, from a spiritual practice point of view, when I step in to be of service to you, I actually am walking to talk about who I want to be in mm-hmm. that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, service work is a huge thing, getting us out of ourselves. That um, 
that concept of, you know, being able, once you really know something and have experienced it, then, you know, you really can be a giver of that to others. Um, and the gift that you get yourself mm-hmm. from that. I mean, right. you're giving to others and, and you're also giving and healing yourself. Right, 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 right. At the exact same time. The exact wow. same moment. It all freaking works. Why am I using that word freaking a lot? Have you noticed that? Yeah. Gosh, but Leslie. Whatever is going on with you today <laughs> has, um, has a lot of, of energy. Uh, yeah. There have been a few other words that you don't normally use, at least when we're doing this show, that, that have expressed themselves today. That's it, that's it. The intensity of Leslie's world. Yep, yep, yep. Can't, can't hide it. Yep. So next week we're going to talk about family and oh, saying I yes to spirit. <laughs> I mean, my words today have been kind of off kilter. I'm fine. We might have to put a disclaimer, like a PG-13 or a rated R kind of thing, on the on the show next week. Maybe talk about family, or maybe not. Very good, very good. So, um, is there anything to do that we? So, can do well, let week? me say it this way: our theme for next week, right now, is planned <laughs> to be family. However, we reserve the right to change that. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, tune in next week and uh, see if uh, family made the cut or if it made the cut. (laughs) That's great. We'll know my own mental status and yeah. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. Great. So, in the meantime, um, until we meet again here, please visit us online at GodInMyDay.com and uh, if you enjoyed the devotion about Walk Your Walk, go to GodInMyDay.com and subscribe to the devotions, and you can receive devotions on a regular basis right directly in your email inbox. And um, so that's about it um, for today. And until we meet again, say yes. yes. The spirit. spirit.